Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today I want to talk about self-doubt. Self-doubt is something that still gets the better of me from time to time, and nothing is quite as good at tanking my mood or sending my emotions and my thoughts spiraling out of control or filling me with despair. Right now, I'm actually struggling with some self-doubt because I've been working very hard on a project. It's an ambitious, creative project. It's a book that I have been trying to complete for a long time, and because the story is somewhat complicated, I have to really work at constructing the narrative in a way that makes it easier for people to understand the enormous world building. Not that readers are stupid. Readers are usually very smart. It's just that perhaps you've heard the adage of a good artist or a good writer makes the story easy to read. So even complex stories should be easy for readers to enjoy. And so there are some structural issues that I've really struggled with. And the more I labor with the story, the more I struggle to try to pull it into shape. And I keep getting stuck at certain points. It makes me feel like maybe I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I mean, I've produced 26 books at this point. You would think that the feelings of self-doubt would go away with time that... If you just produced enough books, it would not be a problem that you would eventually grow really confident in your ability to tell a good story. But the truth is, I still come up against these feelings all the time, especially if I do something that pushes me out of my comfort zone. And so I'm testing the extent of my abilities as a storyteller, as a writer, and it can be really challenging because some problems are just at the edge of my ability to fix And so when I live in that space, it is a growth space. It allows me to continue to develop my skills, to get better and better at something. But you can't quite get rid of this feeling of not knowing what you're doing. (laughs) You're just not sure if you know what you're doing. And so as I struggle with this project and I'm working to pull myself out of my own self-doubt right now, I thought it would be a good time to share with you about what I do to take care of myself in moments like this. There's nothing like watching my own plane nosedive toward Earth for me to think, hey, you know what, guys? This would be an excellent time to talk to you about how to write your plane as it plummets toward the Earth. So why not let my misery be your bounty? But before I tell you what you can do if you find yourself in a self-doubt spiral, like what I'm struggling with right now, I want to give you a little bit more information on my history with self-doubt, and that way you'll understand the kind of stories and thoughts and feelings that come up for me when I am pressed in this way. As you probably know by now, unless this is your very first episode of the podcast, I was raised by a narcissistic father, and his personality disorder, his toxicity, was definitely impactful on me during those crucial developmental stages as a child. 
So much so that now, even into adulthood, despite the fact that I know better, and despite the fact that I am certainly stronger and more independent now than I was as a kid, even though I fully understand I am the only one in charge of my life, I still struggle a lot with his worldview and the narratives that he ingrained in me. I talk about this history in my Why You Can't Trust Yourself episode, so some of this might feel familiar to you if you have already listened to that episode. And if you haven't, you can go back and check it out to get a better scope of sort of what I was dealing with as I was growing up with him. But to give a clearer view of our dynamic, these are the important highlights of that relationship. So my father hated my mother. And based on how he would speak about her, you kind of gained the sense that he hated her because he blamed her for going to prison. So when I was about four years old, the police charged into our home, our little duplex that the three of us were living in at the time, and they throw my dad on the ground, they handcuff him, they drag him out, and I only see him again a couple of times during the trial. My grandmother had actually taken me into the courtroom a couple of times, and we also visited him when he was in prison a couple of times. So I didn't start getting his view of what happened until I was a little bit older, probably about 10 years old. Not super old, but 10 years old after he had gotten out of prison. And the way that he described it was he had been arrested for rape, for raping someone, and he seemed to have the opinion that he would not have been charged and he would not have been convicted if not for my mother's testimony against him. Apparently something that she said or did in the courtroom solidified the jury's opinion of my father's guilt. And for that reason, he blamed his years in prison on her, and that maybe as his wife, she should never have testified against him. It's hard to know exactly the rationale of a person like that, what all they're thinking in their mind, but that's the general sense that I was getting listening to him. And so when he would speak about my mother, he would always speak about her in a very hateful way. He definitely used her struggles with mental illness and addiction against her. He would call her crazy. He would talk about how she has such a loose grip on reality. She doesn't know what's going on around her. She's a weak person. And he would convince me that if I didn't walk this tightrope of his worldview his wants and expectations of me that I was just always a hairbreadth away from becoming her, that I too was just one choice away from being, quote, crazy or weak or useless, and that I would never have it in me to overcome my challenging circumstances, which now in hindsight is somewhat hilarious because he was also trying to convince me at the same time that I wasn't living in challenging circumstances at all. He would say things like, oh, you don't know how bad I had it as a kid. You know, I was beaten and starved and locked in closets and we only had cheese and mayonnaise sandwiches to eat for weeks. And he would make up these scenarios to minimize my pain, to minimize my struggles, basically telling me that I wasn't going through anything, but at the same time telling me I was never going to overcome it. It was a very weird rationale now that I look back on it with older, wiser eyes. But in general, he just had a very negative view of emotions. He absolutely demanded compartmentalization from me. You guys know what I'm talking about. Breaking up your emotions, keeping them in little boxes inside your head, not accessing that. And he would absolutely describe it that way. Anytime an emotion would come up, if I was crying about something, for example, let's say he said something terrible, emotionally abusive, and I cried. 
he would say, you have to stop being so sensitive. You can't be so weak-willed. You need to take that and stuff that away somewhere inside you. And that's a very narcissistic worldview. If someone with narcissistic personality disorder tells you to lock away your emotions, it's because that's what they do. They do not experience their emotions the same way as other people. They keep them under wraps in order to save themselves from the pain. And they just don't understand why other people would not be doing that. And unfortunately, this is just terrible for a little kid growing through their developmental stages because we have so many feelings growing up. And kids are genuinely confused. The world is a big and complicated place. And ideally, growing up, we would have someone who teaches us how to believe in ourselves, how to trust our intuition, trust our instincts and emotions. But if someone's telling you to suppress all that, to ignore that, that you can't be trusted, that something's wrong with you, that you need to second-guess everything about yourself, it really disrupts and disconnects that core strength within you. And that's one of the reasons why self-doubt is so immobilizing. It's kryptonite. It can completely collapse a person's will. So that's why, of all of the things my father could have taught me, I really, really wish that he had not taught me to doubt myself. Doubting myself has been my biggest hindrance in my adult life. And if I could just send anything back, if I could just take something, put it in a box, wrap it up, and ship it back to him, it would be his lessons on having me doubt myself. Because even as an adult, he was so diligent in his gaslighting making me question how I perceived things, what I thought about things, what I believed, and it just absolutely shattered my connection to my own inner compass. And that aspect of my mind, of my heart, has been a very slow rebuild, let me tell you. I've come a long way, but I do often wonder, what could I do if I did not doubt myself? How unstoppable would I be if I could just figure out how to completely reject his worldview? Let me tell you, I am looking forward to that day. <laughs> I am looking forward to the day when I completely break my connection to this aspect of him. Because even though I haven't been able to completely silence his voice in my head yet, I have gotten much better at managing it. Part of this is because now I do have a habit of shrinking him down. So I probably don't need to tell you that my father's a very critical person. He's always been very critical of me and the other people in his life. He definitely is someone who will tear you down rather than build you up. So that critical voice, like any voice of a parent, stays with a child even into adulthood. So I haven't been able to get rid of that voice, but one way that I've been able to weaken it is I actually visualize my dad as a child. So if I'm starting to hear these terrible, gaslighting, self-doubting criticisms in my mind and they're beginning to take up a lot of space, and here's this authoritative, grown man, you know, my father figure, saying them to me, the one way I weaken his chokehold on me is I shrink him down. So I have a picture of my dad. He's probably five years old. In this photo, it's like one of those school photos. He's just a little kid with big ears and sad eyes and probably because at this point in his life, he was being heavily abused himself. And so I just, I imagine him as a grown man and then I shrink him down like he, you know, took a reversal potion or something. I shrink him down to it's just this little kid, this little five-year-old kid saying the same terrible things to me. You know, you're never going to be good enough and you don't know what you're doing and you're stupid. <laughs> It hits different when it's coming out of the mouth of this tiny, little, scared, broken kid. 
And so it does make him more manageable, and it does help me to understand the source of this voice, to work with this voice, to better manage its control over me. And while this newfound wisdom, this perspective, this understanding doesn't make my self-doubt completely evaporate, it does make it more manageable. And manageable is a great place to begin. Manageable is an excellent, strong footing for breaking out of a self-doubt spiral. So that's kind of my past. That's what I've been working with. That's where I get my negative inner voice that holds me back so much that in moments where I feel stuck or I feel unsure about what's going to happen or if I'm strong enough to pull through something or if I'm brilliant enough to pull something off when I'm dealing with those feelings of self-doubt, I understand first and foremost where it's coming from. And then these are some of the things that I do to help pull myself out of that spiral. And I do hope that these tips are useful for you. Of course, I encourage you to build your own system, whatever works best for you. But just here are a few that have been useful for me over time. So the first thing that I do is I talk sense to myself, not only just to validate myself, but I try to get clear on what I'm feeling, why I feel it, identify what narratives are coming up. I look back again to those origin points, trying to understand what closed-minded beliefs, what criticisms, anything from the past that might be coming up so that I can tell myself, okay, this is what this is, this is where it's coming from, this is why I feel this way. And once I establish that connection, so it doesn't just feel like it's coming out of nowhere and it's brand new, then I can ask myself, have I ever done this before? Have I ever thought these terrible things, struggled in this way, started questioning myself, has this happened before? And the answer is almost always, yes, this has absolutely happened before. And so I can tell myself, well, if it's happened before and I got through it and felt fine, that means I can also get through this and feel fine. So just offering a little bit of perspective. And more than that, you have a choice here to ask yourself, do you want these things to be true? Everything that my father ever said about me, those criticisms, when he told me I was just as crazy as my mother and nothing I would do would change that, do I believe that? Do I want to believe that? Do I want that to be true? And if the answer is no, then I just do my best to completely reject it. And that might just include affirmations or just angry statements in the back of my mind of, I do not accept that. That is not true. That is your worldview, and it's not mine. That is not the reality I'm living in. And of course, the more loving version is you've shrunk your person down, whoever your inner critic is, and you're looking at a child who's saying these things, and then you can respond more tenderly. I don't know who told you these things, but they're not true. They will never be true, and I don't believe them, and you don't have to believe them either. You can actually speak to that little critic in your head as if they are an actual child who has picked up these terrible thoughts and beliefs from someone else. So in addition to doing this mind work, validating myself, trying to get perspective, clarifying where I am in my mental and emotional landscape, the next thing that I can work on doing is fully accepting that I have the ability to shift my energy. So self-doubt has a very negative, claustrophobic, heavy energy to it, right? When we are doubting ourselves, our energy completely tanks, maybe we're on the verge of tears, at least that's exactly what I'm feeling. When I'm overwhelmed, I want to cry like an actual infant. So something heavy might be coming through. You might be feeling really down. You might just want to collapse in a heap on your sofa, for example. That is an energy. That is a physical 
experience in your body. You can probably feel those energetic signatures in your body, but also in your mind. Maybe your mind feels very, I would describe it as checked out. Maybe part of you might be checking out. Part of you might just be low-key anxiety. It might even be difficult to understand what you're really thinking because you're just feeling this <laughs> in the back of your mind. Whatever the energetic experience is for you, you can first recognize, okay, I'm. this is my self-doubt energy. This is the energy of my self-doubt. And once you acknowledge that, the second acknowledgement can be, I am in control of this energy. I can do with this situation what I want to do. And here are the techniques that work well for me when it comes to shifting that energy to doing what I want to with it. If I don't want the self-doubt energy, I can change it. And this is how I change it. And again, this will be unique to everyone. Only you will know through trial and error what helps you lift your mood, change your mood, release tension and stress from your body. But here are some of the things that I've done just in the last couple of days working with the strong self-doubt energies that I have going on in my mind and in my body right now. So I did a 20-minute yoga video, specifically yoga with Adrian's yoga for suffering. <laughs> I was suffering, so I did yoga for suffering. 20 minutes, then I made myself a cup of tea, which I drank slowly. I tried to enjoy the warmth because I knew that would cheer me up. I had it in my favorite mug that's super cute. I was wearing a soft, oversized sweater. I changed into my favorite Christmas leggings because why the hell not? <laughs> and then I went on a really long, refreshing walk. It was chilly. The air was fresh. It was cool. And I think I've mentioned before that there is a marsh near my house that has these beautiful trees overlooking the water. And there are geese and cranes and ducks and a bunch of other birds that I do not know. But they add to the atmosphere with their singing, their chirping. And so I'll just stand there on the path looking at the water, and that is usually a great way to lift my mood, to shake off the energies, to get very present, to clear my mind. The exercise aspect of it, the walking itself, is also very good because it shifts the energy in my body. Other things that I can do to shift my mood are reading a book that I want to read, webtoons, talking to a friend. I could also just go outside and lay down on my back and look up at the sky. I've got like this little mat, this outdoor mat that I can just throw down anywhere. I could meditate. I could take a nap. I could clean something. I could listen to my favorite Pema Chodron book. I could take a hot shower. So anything that you know that will make you feel better, you do that. And if you don't feel good enough after that, you do the next thing until you just have a list of things that you can try and you just keep doing it until you're able to get yourself in a more workable, manageable mindscape. It's not that you're going to completely obliterate the self-doubt or the negativity necessarily, but just giving yourself enough of a break that you can work with it. What I do not do is I don't do the things that I know will make me feel worse. So for me, that's complaining, that's pounding a bunch of sugar, which will make my moods jump all over the place to begin with and fill me with guilt. And that's another spiral, a guilt spiral. I don't want to manage two spirals at one time, guilt and self-doubt. So I don't throw another spiral, another tornado into the situation. I don't tell myself what a piece of crap I am. I try to be mindful about what I'm saying to myself when I'm thinking about myself. I try not to zone out or tune out by losing hours on social media or YouTube. Social media also because there's this facade about it of everybody's presenting their best self. And if I'm not feeling great about myself, I don't need to go on the internet and see how everyone else is doing better than me. It's just not a good combination at that point in time. So anything that you can do to give yourself more resources in this moment, that's what you're aiming for. 
because the more space you can make in your mind, the smaller and more manageable your self-doubt will be. But that is equally as important as avoiding those things that suck up more energy and space when you're strapped in times like this. So when you're pressed, don't do the things that make it even harder on yourself. You're already having a hard time, so try not to add any weight to the situation. I also double down on self-care. Self-doubt sucks the wind out of our sails. It leaves us floating, listless, unmoored, I could say, if I really want to lean into this boat imagery here. Adrift, it leaves us adrift. So anytime that we come to a standstill or we lose our gusto, it's really important to take an opportunity to step back and take stock of what's going on. Maybe we're asking too much of ourselves lately, and that's how we ended up in this spiral. Maybe the reason why I feel like I can't do something is simply because I'm tired, because I've been going too hard and heavy for too long, and I can't keep going like this. More than once in the self-doubt evaluations of myself and my situation, I've come to the realization that, oh my God, I can't do this, is really more of a, oh my God, I can't go on like this. And what I mean by that is... I have not been replenishing myself. I've not been gentle with myself. I haven't been working to shift the energy, stop cracking the whip on myself. I've been too hard on myself. And when we realize that, sometimes that's just as important to address and take care of. Sometimes riding the ship isn't so much about filling your head with positivity and saccharine affirmations. Sometimes it's just a matter of taking your own foot off of your neck. So here we are at the end of the episode. If you're struggling with self-doubt, I just want you to know that I understand completely how hard it is and how heartbreaking it can be. And I am so sorry if you're in that space right now, but I believe a hundred million percent that you can comfort yourself, that you do have the power to move yourself out of the space, to change your energy, to rewrite those narratives. You have the ability to pull through that. And while you do, I will be over here sending you all my love until next week when I am back with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. But until then, please, 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 please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.